that doesn't even make you look good there, buddy. And <laughs> like, so you're, you're a fourth liner barely hanging on in the league. Who can only do it seven and, times. And pump seven, seven times. Pumps. How are you a catch? What the hell is this? You're listening to Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Brutally honest sports talk. And now, here is Mike Jansen. Before we get to the um, main topics of what we'd like to talk about here on this 503rd episode of Unscripted, we do need to send out our thoughts and condolences to former Colts and Dolphins coach and NFL legend Don Shula, who passed away on Monday at the age of 90, a Hall of Famer, all-time winningest coach in NFL history with 347 wins, Papa Bear George Hallis is second with 321 wins. Excuse me, 324 wins. Uh, Shula had five Super Bowl appearances, won two Super Bowl titles, both with the Dolphins. The guy that's closest of the active coaches is Bill Belichick. He's at 304 wins. And there's been some talk since Shula has passed that Belichick is trying to stay around and get those last... 43 wins to catch Shula and get that 44th win to pass Shula as the all-time winningest coach in the National Football League. I'll ask you about that later, but a little fun fact that I learned this week about Don Shula going back to 1970. After losing Super Bowl three as 17.5 point favorites to the New York Jets, that was the famous Joe Namath Super Bowl, uh, Shula was not happy working for then-owner Carol Rosenblum in Baltimore. And supposedly, Coach Shula was very interested in succeeding Vince Lombardi in Green Bay as the coach of the Packers. Then Packers coach Phil Bengston, who had been the defensive coordinator under Coach Lombardi. And then when Lombardi quit for one year, he was just the general manager and he was the self-appointed successor to Lombardi. And this, again, is defensive coordinator Phil Bengston. But somebody in Green Bay had made contact with Don Shula about potentially being the coach of the Packers. Phil Bengston was asked, would he resign as the coach of the Packers? He said, hell no. And then all of a sudden you get Dolphins owner Joe Robbie. He called Shula to see if he'd be interested in coaching the Dolphins. And then they say the rest is history. But I got to ask and wonder about this often as devoted as a Packer fan as I am. And you've always heard me talk about the 29 years of crap between Coach Lombardi and Coach Holmgren in Green Bay. Think about how different history would have been in Green Bay if Don Shula had followed Vince Lombardi in Green Bay. That would have been the Packers' lead all-time with 13 NFL titles. Next is the Bears with nine, and then I believe the Steelers with eight, and the 49ers with seven, and the Patriots with six right off the top of my head. But think about what that margin would have been if Don Shula had been coaching the Green Bay Packers instead of a bunch of Olympics after Lombardi all the way till 1992 when the Packers uh, hired Mike Holmgren. But I'll ask you right now, does Belichick stay around to get those 44 wins needed to surpass Don Shula and become the all-time winningest coach in National Football League history? That's a good question. I mean, his whole persona is crafted around not caring about that right. type of thing. But I mean, deep down, he might, even though he would never admit it, certainly. I think he'll probably see how it goes, frankly. I mean, if he keeps having double-digit wins, and I could see him sticking around for four or five more years, sure. But 
if he's just going to be an average team yeah. and if he's not serious about a quarterback, that, that quarterback thing is just really confusing me. I don't know why he's not doing more about that. Exactly. You know, like Cam Newton sitting Bring around. Bring in Cam that, Newton for a year yeah, and see how it like, works out. So I don't get that. So you'd have to imagine he has some sort of plan or is such a good coach that he'll figure out a way to get the team to win anyway. But I think you'll see how it goes, honestly. I mean, he might, he even he wouldn't necessarily know how he's going to feel in three years, right? right? So... I'm going to imagine he'd like to do it. I don't, you know, a lot of people, a lot of guys who do their dream jobs don't necessarily want to retire. I mean, Donald Trump always said, why would I retire? What am I going to, I already do what I love. Uh, Talking about when he was running, you know, before being a president, running the Trump organization. I mean, why would I go lay on a beach? He's like, I don't, I don't want to lay on the beach, you know, maybe once in a while, but not very, not all the time. Like that doesn't sound fun. I'd rather be here having fun running my company. So if you have your dream job, you don't necessarily want to retire. Like, can you imagine Bill Belichick is going having fun doing other stuff? Like, I mean, like, I think he's doing what he loves. So because of that, he's probably going to stick around for a while. He's one of those guys I could see being, uh, you know, really smart and really sharp for quite a while. Yeah. Like right when he's 90, you know, being really sharp. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think he'll probably stick around and probably get it. But there's a lot of uh, question marks right now couple of things to get to as I'm going to be kind of mixing and matching and going all over the place. There's so many things. You know, it's funny. I remember when this COVID-19 pandemic started and I was concerned and I I sent texts and, and talked to Chris about, you know, what are we going to talk about? Well, I don't think there's a lack of things to talk about. I came here today with nine pages of stuff. But anyway, um, I want to start going and reviewing a lot of different things, but I want to start in the National Hockey League. And uh, my partner and friend here has been adamant, and rightfully so. I mean, everything you hear, whether it's coming out of Gary Bettman's mouth or coming out of Bill Daly's mouth, is that we will crown a champion this year in the National Hockey League. I feel more confident that the National Hockey League is going to do it, way more confident that the National League is going to do it before the NBA does. I see some real hesitancy with the NBA Three teams were opening up their facilities today in the NBA, the Denver Nuggets, the Portland Trailblazers, and the Cleveland Cavaliers, and there was not expected to be full participation there. So I see a little bit more hesitancy in the NBA than I do with the National Hockey League. But again, Chris has been adamant, and I agree with him wholeheartedly, that the National Hockey League will award a champion this season regardless of how long it takes. And along those lines, news out on Friday reports And this is being reported by Pierre Lebrun, writing for The Athletic, I believe. That's where I read this. But news came out on Friday that a 24-team format for the NHL playoffs is gaining some traction. The thought is that you could adopt a play-in format that trims 24 teams down to the traditional 16 teams quite easily. Therefore, you don't have to have any regular season games. You have three to six play-in games and that means you get through the process quickly. Quickly, excuse me. My lips aren't working very well. But I personally like this. I don't think we have to have a, a whole bunch of regular season games. I do believe that we need a bit of a, a, a couple of weeks of a training camp to try to get the muscles reconditioned to that kind of punishment and that kind of, of, of work again, if you will. But I don't think, you know, do the Detroit Red Wings need to play any more hockey this year? Probably not. No, no. Do the uh, Los Angeles Kings and the Anaheim Ducks need to play hockey again? San Jose Sharks need to play hockey again this year? No. So I like this. 
and I want to see what you think. But I think this is very proactive. I think it's a really good way to get hockey back into our living rooms and our dens and our man caves and wherever else. But uh, I think there's a lot of teams that really can think about working toward and gearing toward the uh, 2021 season and finish it out with teams that were close to or guaranteed a playoff spot at this time. I think this is brilliant by the National Hockey League. Yeah, this 2014 configuration has been talked about for some time, and I like it. I think it's good. I haven't looked at where the cutoff is and if they're how close some team is to being in the playoffs or not, and there could potentially be an issue there. But other than that, I'm sure they've thought of that. Uh, I've, I've said all along the NHL is really planning hard for every contingency, and I believe they'll come up with a good solution. And I'll continue to guarantee that they're going to award the Stanley Cup this year. And yeah, there's if, if they said there was a chance Detroit could win the Cup, I would say that's absolutely unacceptable because right. they were eliminated. Uh, but for the end... Really, I mean, there's some teams that are so fraught of it. They might, they were, you know, well, a, a I can day think or two of, from. Yeah, Ottawa, Detroit, L.A., Anaheim, done. Yeah. Put a fork in them. They're yeah, done. Exactly. So, so I know it sounds really good, and I'm just, I'll just be excited to have hockey back. And no I, I, I think the NHL is going to come up with something good here. Okay, now this one is going to get my partner all pumped up, and I can't wait to see it because I love it when he gets pumped up. Um, Forbes magazine, based out of the United States, has deemed. Um, has deemed that the fans of the Pittsburgh Penguins are the most passionate in the National Hockey League. And before I get Chris to comment, I do need to give a little bit of, a, of information on this. Out of the top 10 teams, there was only one National Hockey League team that was included. So you got to assume that the Packers are in there. you got to assume that the Cowboys are in there, a couple of NBA teams. But for this purpose of this discussion... There was only one National Hockey League team that made this list or made the top 10, and they came in at number nine. And they were the only representative of the National Hockey League to come in on this Forbes magazine list of the most passionate fans. I can't wait to hear what you got to say. And I'm glad you're taping this because I think I'll use it for future references down the way. But I think this is preposterous, but... I want your comments on the Forbes magazine has deemed that the fans of the Pittsburgh Penguins are the most passionate in the National Hockey League. Floor, sir, the floor is yours. Yeah, this is just pure ignorance all the way. I don't think that the Pittsburgh Penguins even have more passion fans than any of the original six teams, never mind getting into the other Canadian franchises or any other franchises like the LA Kings have actually developed quite a following. I know my cousins live down there and it's just a ridiculous thing to say. Pittsburgh, I'm not even sure if they're in the top half. And if they are, it's easy when you're always cheering for a great team. And when you aren't in that little bit between Lemieux and Sid, guess what? In the last season before we got to see Sidney Crosby playing for the Pittsburgh Penguins, 0304 when the Flames That's and the right. Lightning played. Yeah. In that season, Pittsburgh was dead last yeah. in attendance. The Edmonton Oilers, as just another random example, continued selling out every game for about a decade after they hadn't made the playoffs at all. The oh geez, I mean the Toronto Maple Leafs sell out every game no matter what. They haven't won the Cup since before man walked on the moon, yeah. <laughs> right? Like we say, right? I mean, to to think that, oh, well, with when Mario and Sid are, doing, are there and doing their thing and they're winning Cups, they have good fans. Like That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. 
I mean, that's like saying, oh, well, the Patriots have great fans under Brady and Belichick. It's like, well, you know, you can't factor in bandwagon fans. That's the, the whole point of the list is supposed to filter out the bandwagon bullshit. That's the entire point of it. Yes, we already know that the Florida Panthers have crappy fans or no fans or whatever. We know that. So if all that's siphoning out, the list is completely pointless and that's stupid. You have to analyze the true passion of the fan base and that's going to be reflected in does the does the team sell out no matter what? The Green Bay Packers, the Toronto Maple Leafs. You're not getting a ticket no matter how bad the team is. That's right. Pittsburgh Penguins finished dead last. If you finish dead last in league attendance at any point in the last 20 years, at least, but especially way more than that, you don't make the list. Correct me if I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. But to my recollection, and we know going back to 502 that I'm a little fuzzy these days, but correct me if I'm wrong, before Mario Lemieux came in to save the day, the Pittsburgh Penguins were almost out of Pittsburgh. Yeah, they They were. They were playing in an antiquated building in the old Mellon Arena, which was a shithole. And I believe, I remember this, that if Mario doesn't come in on the white knight horse and save the franchise, Pittsburgh was looking to play somewhere else. Yeah, they were looking at leaving. Absolutely. They are a small market franchise, relatively, right? And yeah, they were absolutely almost out. I mean, they were a terrible franchise before he gets picked first overall in 1984. And they were just, they've had a lot of history of just a small market, aw shucks franchise, other than when you had Mario Lemieux or you had Sidney Crosby. Other than that, if you take away all the Crosby years and all the Lemieux years, yeah, that is an that is a nondescript franchise, unimpressive, unimpressive building, unimpressive fans. It's it's virtually nothing without those two guys. And right. I know they've had other good players like Yager as a compliment and Malkin as a compliment, but I mean, what a ridiculous, narrow-minded thing! Whoever wrote that has to be friends with Dion Waiters. Basically, I mean, <laughs> I mean, not just because he's an idiot who doesn't know how to make lists but also because he doesn't know anything beyond like two years ago, I guess. Right, right, yeah. Right. I mean, or four years ago or five years ago, like time started in 2015, I guess. I don't know. It's unbelievable. What a li- You know what it, it also might be? You've often talked about uh, certain uh, people who write lists in the States and maybe mm-hmm. they don't know hockey, so he just needed some token thing and he glanced and he saw a clip of Sydney winning the cup and like, oh, they look past. Like, I mean, unbelievable. Every original six team... Now, the Detroit Red Wings fans were so spoiled for so long, and now they're the worst team. I I think that that's kind of showing that, uh, I don't know, maybe there's a lot of fans that are just used to the good times, and that'll be interesting to see what happens uh, with the Patriots, whether now or whenever Belichick leaves, the next time they're bad, whenever that is. But the rest of the original six, pretty much any Canadian team, um, LA Kings, and probably a bunch of other ones that I'm even forgetting. Uh, Minnesota generally has really good hockey fans. And then, of course, if you're getting into the NFL, a number of massively passionate fan bases where you're just not getting a ticket. What a ridiculous thing to put, honestly. You know, it's funny. The Pittsburgh Penguins and the San Antonio Spurs, just to show the comparison, the thing that they probably, both of those franchises are very good at is knowing when to be crappy. I was living in San Antonio and the, uh, in the late 80s in the military, and the, the, the Spurs were dog shit. They were about that close to moving. And all of a sudden, the ping pong balls came up the right number, and the Spurs get David Robinson. Then in 1997, Robinson had been out in 1996, 
So again, the pinball mm-hmm. numbers end up in the right, and they get Tim Duncan in 1997. So they're very lucky. I don't think you're good. You're just very, very mm-hmm. lucky. Mm-hmm. And I think that is also true, as you just said, with the Pittsburgh Penguins. They knew when, or they were lucky when they were bad, and they were able to acquire a superstar cornerstone uh, like a Sidney Crosby to bring them back to respectability. So, um, yeah, unbelievable. And again, there's so much difference, folks, between the writers in the United States and the writers in Canada. When it comes to hockey. A lot of things. Okay. But especially, especially no, no doubt hockey, but there's a lot of things. I think that there's, now that I've been here for 24 years, um, I really have trouble believing sometimes some of the things that are written by writers in the United States. That's all I'm going to say. I've got one more thing to talk about in the National Hockey League before I get on to other topics. As we say hi and welcome you to this 503rd episode of Unscripted. I have to say that I'm happy that the Washington Capitals have waived and terminated the contract of Brendan Leipzig two days after vulgar messages sent from his Instagram account surfaced on social media. Also, Leipzig's brother Jeremy, who was involved in the messages, was released from the University of Manitoba's hockey program on Thursday. And I'm telling you guys, this is what happens when you don't pay attention to what you are doing on social media. I have never been a big proponent of social media. Chris has helped me to get to where I am today with social media. But things like this happen when you're jacking around with your friends and you don't push a privacy button or you don't push who you are, you know, directly sending this, these tweets or Instagrams or these posts to. And when you're kind of doing it half-assed and you're not paying attention, this is what happened. And from my understanding, I have not seen the post. I'm just reporting what I read briefly this morning. But from what I'm reading and hearing is that there were some really disparaging comments made about Connor McDavid's girlfriend, which what the fuck is, where does he get off making comments about another player's girlfriend? And it wasn't just Connor McDavid, but that's the one that means the most to me because I like Connor McDavid. <laughs> it has nothing to do with my partner here being Edmonton's number one fan. I like Connor McDavid. And where do you get off making derogatory comments about Connor McDavid's girlfriend? If somebody made derogatory comments about my wife, oh, we'd have a problem. So I'm very happy to see that the Washington Capitals have done this. I think there needs to be more along the lines of monitoring professional athletes' uh, social media accounts. I know that some people would say that as an invasion of privacy, but go fuck yourself. What this guy did was wrong, and I'm glad that he's having to pay the price. A couple quick things before I completely bash this idiot. Please. Yeah. So number one, it was, I mean, it was on Instagram in terms of private conversations, in fairness. So now we all have said things in private we wouldn't necessarily want, out, whether it's talking to somebody in private, texting them, something like that. And you know what? I know that this is what uh, some people said. Well, this is what Donald Trump would call locker room talk or whatever. Yeah. And I know that people in locker rooms and athletes say things that aren't completely politically correct all the time, and that's fine. But there's a big difference, I think, between if guys are sitting around like, oh, look at her. She has a nice ass. 
you know, doing that, that's definitely happening. That's, oh, that's happening all the time. And, but if a guy says that, I'm that doesn't make the guy a bad person, right? Like, that's just, okay, like, we're having fun. Like, to me, if you're saying locker room talk and that's what you're talking about, like, oh, she's so hot, okay, fine. That's big deal. No problem at all. But this guy just seems like a bad person. Yeah. And I'm really trying hard not to be too judgmental about private conversations. But I have to be honest with my private conversations. If they got out... I don't remember talking like this. I don't remember seeing other guys maybe a couple times somewhere with someone who wasn't my friend. But my friends and I don't talk like this. Correct. You know, we might say, you know, if we hate somebody because they're a horrible person, we'll say that. Or if some girl's hot, we might say that. But we're not we're not going around with this. I mean, there were so many and it's hard to find them all amalgamated. But I mean, the guy is just brutal like and and not just about women like it was about guys too like there's a picture of jake for with the canucks and he's like you know easily the worst crew in the world which isn't the most offensive crazy comment but it's just a weird thing to say he even insulted his own two line mates who were shown sitting around i think they're playing video games or something and he just called he said look at those loot like they're just losers and there is line mates not only his line mates on the fourth line you are a fourth liner and the other guy that you're typing with is a minor leaguer. You are not hot shit, Brennan Lipsig. Like, you are nothing. You are nothing. You know, he's saying all this stuff like, oh, you know. So this was the other thing that pissed people off. Well, one of a million. But he's, he was talking about this girl he slept with. And he said, second kill of the night. As in, I guess a kill is... I don't know if that's... I, I thought that meant he kind of went with her twice, but... I'm thinking that means now, actually, when I read it again, like maybe the second girl. He second had that girl night. that night. Yeah, second kill of the night. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I read that wrong. She sat on my hog and busted in seven. I said busted in seven pumps. Like, so that, that doesn't even make you look good there, buddy. And <laughs> like, so you're, you're a fourth liner barely hanging on in the league. Who can only do it seven times. Pump seven, seven times. Pumps. How are you a catch? <laughs> what the hell is this? Yeah, he, he and now you don't have a job either. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah. So he was terminated today, yeah. of course. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's just so there. It's not one post. Like there's there are just a tons and tons of conversations that somehow got leaked, and they're all just reprehensible. I mean, yeah, I just you know made fun of Connor McDavid's girlfriend's legs, called Tanner Pearson's wife fat, and called other people, other girls, fat pigs, and just. And then, like, he was talking about one group of, of girls, and he said, you know, I, I hope that they were going to go meet. And he said, I hope they're ugly just so I can degrade them. And then the other guy said something back, and then he said, or, he, or the other guy said, oh, what if they're hot? And then he said, oh, I'll, I'll just degrade them anyway. Like, he's just, he's just a piece of garbage. He's the worst kind of sports jock douchebag that he's this sort of weird stereotype that... People like me like to pretend don't exist or or truly believe right. are quite rare. And I and even seeing this, I like to think that most guys are not like this. Well, see, here's my problem with it, and and all I'm saying is that I have a very impressionable and emotional 15 year old girl, ninth grade girl in my home, my daughter Jenna, and Jenna has had an unbelievably difficult year this year with what she calls the female dogs of grade nine because of what they see on the internet, on the World Wide Web, and how uh, girls are supposed to be, you know, how their bodies are supposed to be, 
and all this other stuff. And for some girls like my daughter who has grown so much in the last year that right now the figure that you see, and I always bash the Kardashians about this, but, you know, they all come on with their pin, you know, their little skinny waist and their big boobs. And, and, and that's the, you know, that's the way everybody's supposed to be. And I think that's just incredible pressure on a 15 year old girl. And I feel sorry for the year that my daughter has had because of morons. And this guy, I hope no team. And now that I've learned that he's a fourth liner, I don't think there's going to be a bunch of opportunities for this guy. And this isn't the first team he's played for. He's been around for a while and can't seem to catch on with anybody on a permanent basis. And now because of this shenanigans, he's going to have trouble getting a job. He's going to be up there in, in uh, Bill Peters land here. Yeah. And uh, I, I am very proud right now of the ownership of the, of the Washington Capitals to take this step. Because monsters like this need to be taken out of our daily lives. Yeah, he's just he's just a rotten person. I mean, there's there's nothing that I know about about him, you know, sexually assaulting anyone or anything like that. But it's just it it's as bad as it can be without any known criminal activity. It's just it's just a rotten person. And again, I I I can't stress this enough. I just I don't want to be any, someone that either is just. You know, when some guys are joking around that I'm I'm like some sort of prude or something like that. And, you know, I also am just very careful with private conversations because in fairness, this wasn't just carelessly, you know, guys all the time will just tweet stuff publicly and it's just stupid. This at least was meant to be private. And I, uh, you know, so I, I try to factor that in. But just how this guy is systemically as a person is is just weird. like, why would you even want to degrade people why would you want to you know insult people like if somebody is a horrible person like you know if if a woman was a horrible person to me um maybe then i make fun of her for anything even if it's unrelated to her being like maybe i don't know maybe i might do that but but just people you don't know or purely for their physical appearance or whatever and just in just a such a callous way is just, you know, this guy is just a piece of shit. He's just a dumb douchebag. He's just a dumb jock. He's just this sort of stereotype, like I said. He's like some sort of... He's a character that if I saw in a movie, I would be like, okay, they're kind of exaggerating here. This is some sort of like 1970s stereotype of a jock or something. Right, right. And so to find out that he's real, I hope that he's you know fairly unique like this but i don't know maybe this is a common thing i i'd be interested to find out because you'd think now that everything leaks all the time if more guys are like this i mean we're going to see that and if he's not a fourth liner the decision becomes tougher right if this is ovechkin doing this nice point that that's tough but you know speaking of russia if this guy wants a job i think he's gonna have to go to the khl as his best case scenario and if he has to at some point play against Tanner Pearson, whose wife he called fat, or yeah. McDavid, or just somebody who he pissed off. Right. Uh, you know, might not. I want to that watch that game. Yeah, yeah. People are already posting things like, "Here's Brennan Lipsick getting his ass kicked in a fight," and it showed like someone on Philly just like just cracking him right in the jaw. So I mean, people are gonna have fun with that, but uh, I, I don't know how someone like this recovers because even his apology sucked if we're being oh, fairness it's like his apologies was written by the public relations department of the houston astros yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> houston astros yeah but i mean it was i mean 
even if even his apology, even if it was great, would still probably have not have been enough. I Correct. don't think. And and I mean, maybe we'll see him announce uh, stuff here. But someone like this, this isn't like you fucked up once and you said something horrible one time. Like this is just how this guy is, and it's yeah. pretty clear. Like if you haven't looked, you you need to look it up just for your own. It's so many posts. It's not like oh he was drunk one night. Right. It was like this is this is this guy. Yeah. This is his entire psychological this is a profile. pattern behavior. Kind this, of is, thing. this is all he. This is the only way he knows out how to be as a person. He needs to be taken out in the back shed and beaten the shit out of. Well, it might happen. I think it's going to happen in front of a television crowd someday. But it'll probably, like you say, it'll be in in uh, Russia. Um, a lot of things to talk about. I want to get Chris's opinion on this and. Um, I'm very excited to hear about a couple things I want to touch before we get out of here. Andy Dalton gets a one-year deal to be the backup to Dak Prescott in Dallas. And it seems that some people are having a problem with this as Prescott is looking to secure a long-term commitment from the franchise. And then a guy that I think he must stay over at Jerry's house when he's in town or something. I don't know what it is. And he was pissed off. This week, because the the uh, Cowboys gave out his number 88 again, and then he was pissed off that the Dallas Cowboys need to pay Dak Prescott. And I'm talking about that mercurial wide receiver by the name of Des Bryant, who has uh, ruffled your feathers a little bit, and I know you have a comment, and I want to hear about it. Andy Dalton gets a one-year deal to be the backup in Dallas. I want to hear about that, but then I want to hear your feelings about that that PR machine in Dallas. Uh, who am I talking about? Of course, I'm talking about Des Bryant. Yeah, before I go off on that idiot, uh, what a great signing. The amazing offseason continues for the Dallas Cowboys. Great draft, great signing. Well, other than the Amari Cooper deal, which is horrible. Uh, Mike other McCarthy than... thinks he's in heaven. Oh, man, yeah. Uh, other than that, uh, it's been uh, quite an offseason for the Dallas Cowboys. And I mean, the going rate for... Backup quarterbacks, I think, is at least three million, and Absolutely. you're getting Andy Dalton, a legitimate starter. Absolutely, one year, three million. What a brilliant contract! I don't know how they came up with that, but amazing. And that brings us to Dez. So Dez saw this, and it's weird because the Cowboys finally make a good signing, which also is going to lead to some good negotiation, which I'll get into in a second. And this idiot's hot take is that they were extremely out of line. They should just pay Dak and that's it. There are so many things wrong with this. I, I can't stand it. But the biggest one is that Des Bryant, this is why athletes are disrespected by owners and thought of to be stupid jock morons. Not just because of the Brennan Lipsigs of the world, but because of you. Because you're an idiot and you don't understand the first thing about business. I recently said on this program, if I was an agent, I'd want my guys to play for the Dallas Cowboys so I can negotiate with Jerry Jones and fleece them all right. the time Absolutely. and just completely out negotiate them so easily. Have my guys sit out. He'll give them a big contract. Oh, life's easy. Then they finally go and do the right thing. Number one for the football team, you sign a great premium backup at a cheap price. Brilliant. Absolutely. You, you're gearing up for a run. You think you're signing all the right guys and drafting the right guys and you're ready to win now and you've got the most revenue in the world. Great. Go ahead and win now if you can do it. And not only that, though, this is a great negotiating tactic. This is a change in tactics by the Dallas Cowboys. Maybe they listened to Unscripted. I don't know. But all of a sudden now they sign that. Now you've got leverage. 
Okay, Dak. Oh, you want to play hardball? Oh, well, we're just going to make Andy Dalton the starter then. You sit out. Andy's Andy's coming in. And if he comes in, we might not need you anymore because Andy Dalton might just look like the great starter and we won't be able to go back to you. So sorry. Then you'll have to go somewhere else where you don't have Jerry Jones falling in love with all of his big name guys. Brilliant strategic move. The right move for the franchise as well. Just perfect. All the way. A plus, plus, plus all the way around in every way you can do it. And then you have... Des Bryant chiming in, acting like his opinion means something. I want to ask you something, Mike. Sir. How old was Des Bryant the last time he either had double-digit touchdowns or had a 1,000 yards in a season? What was his age? You tell me. Just take a guess. I'm guessing it was 2014, and he would have been around... uh... 26, 27 years yeah, old. Yeah, you're right. He had he turned he was 25 when the season started in 2014 when he had that good season. He had like 16 touchdowns and over a thousand yards, and he turned 26 halfway in. So let's say give round up. So he was 26 last time. Ever since then, hardly any touchdowns. Never a thousand yards again. You were washed up at 26 years old. That's bad even for the NFL. That really is. Like, a lot of guys are just hitting their stride then. Some positions, not usually receivers, but some positions can play to 35, 40. For sure. Interior linemen, some quarterback. Not wide receivers, and that's fair. But 26. Yeah. And you were paid and treated like a number one receiver for years after that. Like, 2014. You haven't been relevant in six years, and you think your number is anything special? There's anything special about the number 88 in Dallas? You think your opinion matters? Look... Some athletes now are getting smart, and some athletes are smart. You've already got guys like Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, who are really smart, went to Harvard, Cameron Brait. You've already got uh, John Herschel going to be get his doctorate at uh, MIT in mathematics, and then you've even got you've even got guys that are just smart in business. You have someone like Bobby Wagner, who's a very intelligent player on the field, maybe mm-hmm. the best linebacker in the league for the Seattle Seahawks. You have him negotiating his own contract and doing a good job of that, right? You have these guys getting smart, and then idiot Des Bryant comes in and thinks that he's smart or that his opinion makes any sense or is anything but just utter stupidity, and he's saying like, oh no, like why would you advocate, I know you want the players to do well, I know you want them to be paid well, but why would you say something so stupid that you think that they shouldn't bring in a great backup who also is, it also makes for a smart business decision? The fact that you don't understand this means that you're just a complete moron and there's no hope for you. Not that anyone was lining up to put a suit on Des Bryant and put him in their front office or anything, mm-hmm. but you have been washed up since 26 and you have nothing to offer after that. I hope you've saved your money because you're an idiot who can't do anything else. I doubt you're even smart enough to talk on TV about football. Oh, you sure. you have to just sit and probably go and endorse rent-a-cars or something, and that's the best you can hope for going forward. You're useless as a person, and you should shut your stupid mouth. I'm very happy for Andy Dalton to get this opportunity, and but people may not remember or maybe they forget, Andy Dalton's going home. Andy Dalton played at TCU. He's from the Fort Worth area. This is very good for Andy Dalton, and it's good for the Dallas Cowboys, which is bad for me because Dallas right now looks better than Green Bay. One other thing I've got to get to. Well, two things yet, and uh, I know we're running long, but that's as unscripted we can do this. I have a question. This really bothers me. Doesn't ESPN own TSN here in Canada? 
If the answer to this question is yes, and it is, then why in the hell can't sports lovers and viewers who haven't had access to a lot of new programming over the last eight weeks because of COVID-19, why aren't the viewers here in Canada able to see the ESPN documentary titled The Last Dance, showcasing the 1997 Chicago Bulls and superstar Michael Jordan winning their sixth and final title together? Now, I've had a lot of problems over the years with ESPN, and this goes pretty close to the top of the list. Maybe ESPN has forgotten that we do have the defending NBA champion Toronto Raptors up here, don't we? And surprise, surprise, Canadians know about basketball and a guy named Jordan. Jordan had some of his best games in the old Sky Dome in downtown Toronto, terrorizing the expansion Toronto Raptors when he was rounding up his career with the Chicago Bulls. Why aren't we entitled to watch uh, the Last Dance documentary? I just, I, I'm, I'm really having a problem with that because all I keep reading about on, on the ESPN uh, website is how great this documentary is. And yet here we are, a company that is owned by ESPN in Bristol, Connecticut, TSN is owned by ESPN. Why can't we share their programming? Not all of us have Netflix. I do not have Netflix. I do not want Netflix. And I can't watch Michael Jordan's documentary, The Last Dance, because I happen to choose to live in the great country of Canada. I think that's bullshit. We are dying for sports programming. And here you've got something that is going off the shelves. It is unbelievably popular. It has already been deemed the most successful documentary ever done by ESPN. And we can't get it in Canada? That's bullshit. I'm very disappointed. And, you know, I, I depend on ESPN for a lot of my sports information that I bring to the table here on Unscripted. And I got to be honest, I am not so infatuated. You know, I've gotten over that stupid 19, what, or excuse me, that uh, ESPN, uh, when the magazine for 20 years and they brought out the top 20 and, and uh, Michael Phelps was not on it and there wasn't one hockey player on it. It's so obvious that ESPN is biased and I've been trying to let it go in one ear and out the other, but I can't anymore because I love Michael Jordan. I respect the Chicago Bulls and I think... We here in Canada, we've got the defending NBA champions that call Canada home, and we can't get the number one sports documentary about the game of basketball. We can't get it in Canada. That, my friends, is bullshit. Yeah, it really doesn't make any sense. Even if ESPN didn't own 20% of TSN, I would still ask why somebody at least isn't airing it up here. It is the most popular thing out there. It is the coolest thing to talk about in the sports world while COVID is happening here. Everyone is just absolutely raving about the documentary every week. I love how they spaced it out. Every week is a new batch of right. you know, topics or a new cast of characters people want to talk about or remember. And, and new stories come up and it's just a really neat time to relive in the 90s when the like late 90s and the Bulls were finishing off six out of eight and uh, well, six for six with Michael. And it really is a, you know, it's the key thing. And it really, in terms of the documentary itself, it couldn't have come out at a better time, really. I mean, yeah. right as we're suffering with no live sports for once, and it's just a brilliant thing to bring out. And I can't believe that TSN 
didn't really push for this. I can't believe ESPN didn't make sure they were airing it. It's just gotten unbelievable ratings, and it's the coolest thing to watch. And it's it's right up there or even maybe surpassing when it comes to water cooler talk if people were actually at water coolers at work and not social distancing at home. Uh, it comes, uh, you know, it's right up there with any, whatever the most popular next Netflix shows are right now. I mean, it's it's a cool thing to talk about. Yes. And it's it's the it's what everyone's buzzing about, especially in sports, but even in the mainstream. And to not have it be front and center, TSN just advertising the shit out of it. Right. Like, hey, right, make sure you like that should be every commercial. And the fact that they missed the boat on that means to me, unless there's something we don't know about, that to me means the executives there just really missed the boat and really need to get uh, their finger back on the pulse of society there. No question. And one other thing that I need to. Uh, report today as we wrap up here on episode 503 of Unscripted. You have heard me talk about my respect, my passion for the CFL game, the Canadian Football League game. I love the game. I like the bigger fields. I like the scoring. I like 12 men on the field, bigger field, longer field. I like everything about the CFL game. Um, I'm very disappointed to hear CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi said on Thursday that with the COVID-19 pandemic still raging, he believes that, and I quote, canceling the upcoming CFL season is the most likely scenario, end quote. Ambrosio went on to say that, and again, I quote, unlike large U.S.-based leagues, our biggest source of revenue is not TV, it's ticket sales. And for reasons of public health, that we totally support, have made it impossible for us to do what we do, end quote. Ambrosi on Thursday was in Ottawa, Canada, that's uh, the province of Ontario, addressing the Canadian government after asking for $150 million in subsidy assistance from the government to help keep his league afloat. Surprising to maybe only me, but even though the CFL's brand and nine teams are well-established, the teams collectively lose between $10 million and $20 million per season. I don't really want to get into the financials, but I got to tell you, man, I am very, very sad if the CFL decides to um, suspend or cancel this upcoming 2020 season. Obviously, they don't have the television revenue that the NFL does or the NBA does or the NHL does yada, 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 even Major League Baseball, run by Robbie Manfred. But I am very distraught and very unhappy if I don't get to see the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, the uh, Edmonton Eskimos, the Calgary Stampeders, the BC Lions, all the teams in the Canadian Football League, because you know what? It's a different game, but that's the beauty of it. And I just would like to see something done to help Canadians, help us through this COVID-19 pandemic by giving us the thought that we're going to be able to see CFL action sometime this season. And I don't, I, I don't have an axe to grind with the commissioner. He's reporting what he knows to be true. He is trying and he's fighting like a Dana White. In my opinion, he's fighting to keep his league viable and keeping his trying to keep his league in the sports arena. But 
if we are to lose the CFL, I would look at that as a terrible loss. It's a good game. It's a good product. There are teams that are around that have been around longer than NFL teams. The CFL will be playing, I don't know, the 100 and something Grey Cup potentially this year in November where the Super Bowl is only at year 55. So the CFL has been around a long time. And I think we've got to find a way with probably some help from the Canadian government, I suppose, when you see these numbers that each team, even when they're playing, are losing between 10 and $20 million per season. And that's not each individual team. That's the collective nine teams together. But come on, guys. Somebody man up and help us get the CFL. Um, you know, it's not going to start on time. There's no way. We're sitting here in May. Training camps are supposed to open usually at the end of May for the Canadian game. The Canadian game the last couple of years usually started on Canada Day, which was July 1st, but now they've moved the Grey Cup up to the very end, or third week around maybe a, you know, a couple of days after U.S. Thanksgiving in November, but they've moved the game up where the games the last couple of years started mid to end of June. It's not gonna. They're not gonna make those timelines this year. But let's see if we can find a way to keep the CFL alive and well, and get their games back up and running. Because there's a lot of great, passionate Canadian football fans in this great country, and I think it would be very difficult for a lot of us, me at the top of the list, to not to be able to watch some of those crazy Saskatchewan fans drinking their pill and wearing their. Uh, watermelons on their heads or the banjo bowl between Winnipeg and Saskatchewan or the unbelievable rivalry between Calgary and Edmonton in the West. And what about the great rivalry between Steeltown Hamilton and those idiots in Toronto? I think there's a lot of great things about the CFL game. And I really, really hope that they don't have to cancel this season because you know what, folks, everybody north of the 49th parallel loses if the CFL doesn't play this year. I think that Randy Ambrosi is just doing a pure negotiation tactic here. I don't think that the season would actually be canceled personally. I could see it being abbreviated. I think most people would agree that an abbreviated season is better than no season at all. Absolutely. Right. And so I think this is just everyone's reporting that he fumbled the funding request from the government. And so therefore, I think he's trying to save face with this kind of Hail Mary. Yeah. Boy, are we ever getting a lot of football? Yeah, really. (laughs) I think that's all. I sincerely, I think I would have worded it, even if this wasn't a football story. I think I would have worded those things the same way, to be honest. But he, uh, I think he hasn't done a very good job. Like most commissioners, it seems like they're all a bunch of hacks who are just lucky. But uh, he's trying to make up for it here and he's trying to get the funding. And I think this is uh, a a way to appeal to the government of like, oh, you're going to, well, we can't have the CFL then and you guys will look bad. So I think that's what he's doing here. He's trying to get some money out of them. The only issue I think would be if there wasn't enough money for the players, but they make pretty low salaries. So, I mean, you don't necessarily need $150 million for that. Right. I mean, I don't know what the payroll is for everybody, but it, it, I don't think it's that high. And so if he gets even some money, I think that would be fine. Have an abbreviated season. We're already, I mean, we just saw today that Ontario is allowing people to practice, uh, for athletes at least. And so I just think that it's, uh, we're, we're trending in the right direction. I think we'll be okay, certainly for an abbreviated season at least. And I think... It's just pure negotiation, and I'm not saying he's wrong to do it necessarily. 
I hope you're right, my friend, because I would feel a real loss if I wasn't able to see some of those games I mentioned this year. It's a different game, but it's a great game, and uh, there's a lot of passion, a lot of passionate, passionate fans behind those nine CFL teams. We've got to run on this 503rd episode of Unscripted. We're going to try to do another edition of Freeform Friday. We haven't done it in a couple of weeks, and that's my fault because of my father's passing, but... We are going to try to get on to our Twitter page and find something to talk about on Freeform Friday, which will be right up next after we put a wrap on this 503rd episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.